Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, bro. It's Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com. Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and support indie wrestling today. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Monday, February 10th, 2020, and you are tuned into the simulcast of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented and simulcast is your Monday locker room from Ami Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. On this week's show, we're talking about Goldberg, return of the dream, free enterprise, and a new beginning in Osaka. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you, this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, the crack spider, the guy who got stuck in Kentucky. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that art of the beat of me, Rick Vickery. And oh, so glad to be back again inside the Monday locker room, the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, see, you, you went there and, and you you let it out of the bag. Stuck in Kentucky. And it, it was more like we ended up doing uh, three, three states in, in less than like 10 hours, 10 or 12 hours. What a whirlwind it was. But you, what, why I was out and about in, in my travels and my adventures. I was trying to think of uh, what message did I want to relay from RBB Fitness coming into this week. And, and it dawned on me coming up this Friday. I, and I'm sure you've got big romantic plans there, Jarko. But it's Valentine's Day. It is. And it, and I know the circle that we run in. We've become very close with them. And uh, I know that they, a lot of them just don't have a lot of luck with the ladies. So I'm going to encourage them. You know, look for those ladies that will be keen towards RBV Fitness. Okay. Because you don't have to be alone. Just remember, don't let those, just because there's a, a couple extra chins, that usually means some big old titties for the win. So, so just love everybody. Be a little more well-rounded this Valentine's Day. There you go. I'm, I, I went incredibly romantic this year, Huckleberry. And I, I, I got a very, very special piece of art imported from Japan for Carly for Valentine's Day this year. It's a, a beautiful picture um, that is autographed by both Will Ospreay and Hiromu Takahashi from WrestleMania. Okay, here we go. Only here in the Monday lock. She, she's so appreciative. Fantastic. Great stuff. 
Uh, Huckleberry, I want to kick things off with a little bit of sports this week. Um, I, I forgot to put this one on your run, but I guess we got to talk about the big fight that actually happened over the course of the weekend. Did you get a chance to see this John Jones versus Reyes fight? The, the big fight. I mean, look at the disappointment that we're getting here. Uh, UFC taking it themselves on the chin, getting comparisons to uh, the lame product to, to that of WWE standards. Yeah, got the, got basically a, a kind of a swerve finish. Did you actually get to see the fight? I actually had not seen it yet. Okay, I watched the fight. I actually tuned in for this because we all know I'm a very, very casual mixed martial arts fan. Um, I'll tune in for Conor McGregor. Now I'll turn in for Masvidal because I absolutely love that freaking guy. But I will tune in for John Jones. And I tuned into this fight, man. Holy cow, what a boring freaking fight. Number one, John Jones gets his ass whipped for the first two rounds. That is absolutely unquestionable. The third round is basically a draw. And uh, then they say that in the championship rounds that John Jones won the rounds. Now, I am firmly in the camp that if you're going to beat the champ, you have to actually beat the champ. You can't let this thing go to a decision. But, yeah, it kind of looks like Reyes got screwed on this one. A lot of people feel like he won that fight. Yeah, as you were saying, Jargo, let's, I, I'm totally – I'm, I'm kind of checked out on an MMA. Uh, just a traditional – hey, I like my pro wrestling. I like the excitement that that brings where I've always felt that MMA kind of, you know, left me shortchanged. But there are those few names that you know are going to give you that that wrestling circus feel. You know, that that vibe that you get there. Of course, John Jones is one of those. But after reading these reviews, I just didn't see see worth going to seek this thing out. And it sounds like that. It, it kind of felt like I was watching a Floyd Mayweather fight. You know what I mean? Where it's like he'll, he'll like come in, he'll get in a couple of punches, and then he just kind of you know does his boxing kind of run away. It was just kind of does the the shadow dance. Yeah, it was just it was a boring fight. It wasn't anything like that last McGregor fight? I can tell you that. The other big thing that everybody's talking about from inside of the world of sports, Huckleberry, the return of the XFL. And this thing is actually getting quite a bit of critical acclaim. One thing I was very curious in that first show on ABC, the first game, 3.3 million viewers. Is that about what you expected? Was it higher? Was it lower? Well, you know, when I saw these numbers, my initial thought was, and I got to say, you know, I had some real concern going into this thing when we saw these rules laid out. I, I thought that they took away too many of the fundamentals, uh, but still going in with an open mind there, through some of it, is it perfect? No. Are we going to have a drop-off in play? Yes, but it was enjoyable all around. Uh, and I did find myself enjoying the pace of the game, and it seems that they, they kept you more, uh, it was a more interactive program than what we become used to uh, with, with football. So, I mean, that was nice and refreshing inside of itself. But I saw the numbers initially, and I, good for them. Uh, good first outing. But then you kind of reflecting back at the first run of the XFL. Remember, it came out of the gate just as strong. Uh, it was, there was that, you know, it seemed that people were finding the positives in it, that there was some excitement. Now, can they sustain that thing uh, going two, three, four weeks? That's going to be the trick because right if I believe it, that last time around, it was about that, that third, fourth week where you just saw a drastic decline where people that were just trying to hang on to the thing, it was like the Titanic. I, I saw William Alessia had posted earlier in the Hameen Media discussion group today um, the way that these salaries are going to work, and it's like $2,500 a week or some something like that, $2,250 maybe. Um, once this fair pay-to-play thing kicks in for the NCAA, 
there's going to be players at Ohio State that are going to be making way more money than that. Like, I don't think this is going to affect the NCAA the way that everybody has kind of thought that it was going to. Well, and I never really thought Bleso and well, we didn't hear about the uh, the pay for play until the XFL, really, That's and until true. what was the other the alliance. You know, until those really started picking up momentum and they were actually going to become a legit thing now that we know the alliance has folded, but then you still had the XFL waiting. We didn't hear about the pay for play. So in a sense, you know, that is the NCAA, as you and I have talked about, just going to kill these majors. But is that the big business for the NCAA? They are they are protecting, you know, they're protecting the upper echelon, the true majors, not the mid majors. That's what they're doing this for, to protect against these outside leagues like this. Uh, I will say, though, this time around, the XFL looks like they're getting paid better than the last time. A little bit more, uh, I guess, job security there. You're set on, you know what you're getting instead of, you know, the winner gets, you know, the bigger cut of the purse or whatever it might be. Even across the board here, talking about, you know, some of the news that's breaking on this thing. Did you see the, uh, the major market ratings? No, I haven't seen them. Which is interesting here, uh, up in the Washington area, uh, a 4.6. And then, then two and three, which really don't even have a team that close to them, came out, at, came out of Ohio, uh, Columbus, and then Cleveland. You people have nothing better to do. I mean, that, that, that's clear. I mean, except run around, you know, between Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky. On the weekend, there there was not a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, not a whole lot going on. Um, I don't know, man. It, it's interesting that you brought up the mid majors because I've heard a lot of people say that this is very like comparable to like NFL preseason football, and I don't think that was accurate. From what I saw of it, it felt more like mid major D one. Absolutely, and again, you know, outside we're gonna they're gonna have to develop on the field. Uh, you know, that's, that's going to have to keep improving there. But I, like I said, I did like the pacing and some of the rules that I was really concerned about, you know, especially inside the kicking game, I didn't notice them as much now. Well, you know, after all these other, you know, new feelings begin to become the norm, will those, those rule changes that I, that I believe were a little bit too drastic for, you know, people like familiarity, Will those begin to sway people's opinion? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I I feel like the timing isn't exactly right. I mean, coming right off of the Super Bowl and then you come out there with mid-major college football. I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see how many people tune into this thing week after week. That's interesting. Uh, I was I was trying to catch a little bit of the Friday locker room, and they were talking. They touched on this just a little bit, and it, it was right before they really got into the conversation where something came up, but. When we look at the timing of this, when would be the right time? I mean, as you start to you begin to get into these other sports, look at the lull right now in professional sports. You got the NBA, the NHL still in that that distant phase. You know, they're just kind of turning the corner from their all-star game. The NBA is right in the middle of their season. College basketball is not quite there yet. I mean, if you would have been waiting till further in the year here, even inside of football itself, then you start, you know, people are refocusing back on the combine. They're focusing on the draft. You're focusing on the OTAs. Then you're getting in the preseason. You've got all the other sports, as I mentioned, there, March Madness. You've got the NBA playoffs. You've got baseball starting up. When would have been a good time? I, I, 
I don't know if there's an exact answer, but I think they picked the best time that they could. I think I would have started on Saturday, April 25th, which is the day that the NFL draft ends. I think that's when I would have started the season. Get past March Madness. I, I don't know. I, I get in my mind, you're, you're running into still in a time where people are going to be, okay, now it's fresh. We're worried more about these young kids going to the actual NFL than we are about this XFL deal. Yeah, but think you, about all the storylines of all the kids that don't get drafted on that day. And you can talk about all the potential of them going to the XFL as well. But they won't be there for an entire year unless they're getting signed there because they already would have missed their training camps there. You know, and it's not necessarily as easy in a sport like baseball or basketball to just go out there and say within a week, okay, I'm ready to join the team. I mean, it's, it's a little more involved when we're talking about football. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. And, and you still got, you know, then you're running into the NBA playoffs, which is, you know, one of the hotter runs there because people realize in the NBA, that's what matters, playoff True. basketball. True. Baseball, it's baseball still hasn't hit that. Okay, we can settle in and wait till. Oh yes, you can. August by 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 the end of April, you bet, man. I mean, opening day is only one day, and by, like two weeks in to baseball season, and it's like you know the dog days of summer well, are well, already I, here. I think in those major markets, they they still hold on a little longer. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. We'll we'll have to watch some attendance numbers over the course of this. Uh, the first month of the season. I just think, I still think even if you even if, even if you take baseball that equation, there's still enough going on that's going to distract from it. And it right now, there's not a whole lot. I mean, this is and you're right. I mean, it, I don't know. Maybe maybe you should have waited an extra week to let that Super Bowl hangover really kind of fade. Yeah. Or, or you grab it while it's hot. You know, people got football in their mind. They came out of the gate strong. Again, we saw that the last go around. Uh, it'd be real interesting. I, I don't even think to look at right now, but I, I wonder how the Alliance did in its first couple of weeks. Now, they didn't have uh, the outlets that the XFL had. I mean, it was hard to find Alliance football. Yeah, that's true. The, the XFL was definitely more accessible. And speaking of accessibility, that brings us to the quarterly financials for WWE. Huckleberry, we haven't had a chance to talk about this at all yet. And the financials are greatly irrelevant. Profit revenue is up thanks to the new TV deals. That's no surprise to anybody. They didn't hit their projections. Uh, by by all accounts, attendance is down at least 15%. We're limiting house shows now. But none of that was nearly as interesting as Vince McMahon's comments on the WWE Network and the, the rights for the network basically being up for sale. The network down $15 million between quarter four of 2018 and quarter four of 2019. Rick, the way it sounds, they kind of want to do what the UFC has done with ESPN Plus and basically sell the rights to someone. We'll talk about a couple of options here in, in just a couple of minutes. And then that network can sell pay-per-views. Like So basically, WWE would just get a big fat chunk of money regardless of how many people actually buy the show. And then this other company would actually be distributing the pay-per-views and the days of nine ninety nine for WrestleMania are dead and freaking gone. And, you know, what's alarming here is completely restructuring your network perspective. And I, what really worries me is, yeah, that's all great. I mean, that, that worked out tremendously for UFC because they were still on that when they made that transition. Now you're picking up the ESPN Plus. You are paying a little bit more there, but you're getting so much more content. But that was something new for them. I think, you know, with WWE, they've already opened this door. We've set in at this $9.99. I don't think you can go back. 
I don't think you can either. I think there will be a huge backlash. Um, but domestically, the network is now below a million paid subscribers, um, which is probably the most alarming number that came out of the quarterly conference call. Um, some of the names that are being thrown around here as purchasers of the WWE network include Amazon. Um, and then I've also heard Apple TV. And the other big one that I'm getting heard thrown around is Peacock. Now, that's what, the one that came to my mind. What all these companies are looking at is the Conor McGregor fight from the UFC because that boosted ESPN Plus subs 500,000 subscribers for that one fight. But Rick, I, I have a feeling a lot of those fans are fans like I am that are just casual fans that are going to subscribe just to see McGregor and then they're going to cancel the damn thing. Absolutely. And and if you're, you know, you're WWE and they, if they've been working some absolute magic here in the last couple of years with some of these television deals that they're pulling the, you know, an absolute smoke show, if you will, pulling the wool over these networks eyes because they're just so hungry for that live, that live product, that, that must see that WWE is pitching in the sense of it's, it's more key towards advertisers because it's happening in the now, you know, people are talking about it. It's not something that, you know, with it's overly the top in your pitch it's going to be something that's DVR. People want to watch it in the now. They have sold that thing beautifully, but you got to believe that after you know some of these other these numbers are returning on this, that these potential big investors they're going to have to see through this BS. Is there anybody that is available to the WWE that is going to push Conor McGregor like numbers? Anybody? Like, I don't even think Stone Cold Steve Austin adds 500,000 subscribers for a single match. Well, as we're talking right here, you know, throughout the history, yeah, I mean, I you go back to then, you know, individuals when you actually had... No, 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 I'm talking about today. Stuff. Like but if, right now, if, if they, I don't think I, anything moves that. If, if they announce that Austin is going to be at WrestleMania for a match, does that push 500,000 subscribers? Absolutely not. I don't think it and does either. It, it potentially could have had we been you know, currently under the former pay-per-view structure. But now, even at this, we're at $9.99, and you're gonna then you're gonna end up what would you think it would kick up WrestleMania to? We're looking at $64, $70? I, I would say $69.99. Absolutely not. You're not gonna have those people making that investment. Just for this one-off here. And a lot of those people that, yeah, that are your core base right now, they're smart enough to go find other outlets to watch this thing. Well, and the other thing that has to be considered here, too, all right, is WWE is now giving you a $9.99 product. Right. If they're going to go back to being a $70 product... They have to step things up considerably because right now, I don't know anybody... That would pay $70 for WrestleMania. Not one single person. Nobody comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be hard-pressed to find, to, to maintain that audience. Now, is there a potential, you know, is they were vague in some ways when they were talking about looking for a partner to, you know, to sell this out to another OTT. And one of the first ones that came to me is who, you know, as you mentioned there, who they're in business with already. That's Peacock. Yeah. NBC universal. Yeah. 
you've already got you've already got those connections in place. That was the first one that came to my mind. And then immediately, okay, who else has been willing to to go to business, big dollar business with WWE? Simple Google search of these OTT startups coming out of Saudi is incredible. Well, and there's there's, also an article out there that was published by Newsweek that says that Jeff Bezos may not only be interested in bringing the WWE network to Amazon Prime, but Jeff Bezos could just buy the WWE. I happen to see that. You know, where will that's that's what I wanted to ask you about is kind of getting towards here. We're talking about these potential big dollar partners. When does the conversation shift to outright purchase? Or instead of what we're seeing here with like UFC and ESPN Plus, what could we just merge together with other platforms where these things, maybe we do go up and we're not looking at like a $70 pay per view, but now instead of $9.99, we're up to $24.99, but we have other sorts of genres that are involved on this thing. You, you have your comedies, your dramas, things that are completely outside other sports where WWE Network just becomes just another branch on this platform, on this larger platform. It's going to be interesting to see what happened because let me tell you, that conference call did not go well. Uh, New York Post, WWE stock gets body slammed on weaker than expected revenue. The Street headline, WWE gets slammed following sales miss head of XFL debut. Market Watch, WWE stock plunges toward 21-month low after sales miss considerable uncertainty and outlook. Variety, WWE stock slammed as wrestling giant misses on Q4 revenue. WWE network subscriptions drop. Like, Rick, we have been saying that they are sitting on a time bomb forever when it comes to the actual fan enjoyment of the product. And while business has kept going up, Actual enjoyment in the program has kept going down, and it seems as though the bad creative is finally starting to affect the bottom line when it comes to Wall Street, and suddenly Wall Street is very, very much entertained by this, and they are just blasting the WWE when it comes to their business sense, and yet we have all this incredible uncertainty of what's going to happen with this other OTT service, and... Wall Street is basically losing their minds. Well, again, as we've been talking, you know, for months now, but especially over the last couple of weeks, if it be, you know, the Monday locker room, if it be the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, these questionable business tactics that they have employed here are now seeming to come back to bite them in the ass. And that's absolutely how this is beginning to play out. And then when you, you begin to look at some of these that they have been kind of sweeping under the rug, which has always been, been the bread and butter of the company in itself, you know, as in like live events, uh, your TV ratings and all that, where they continue. Okay. Well, don't worry about that. You know, uh, look at these, look at the deals that we just signed internationally for these television. Uh, yeah. But we we got this major deal from Fox here for all this content. They're creating more content. The numbers continue to dwindle. I mean, all, all the backlash from Saudi. I mean, yeah, that has been, that has been carrying, financially all of this but you're starting to get like this bad sense and this bad vibe surrounding that and now it's beginning to come back and get them and now we're getting ready to go back to saudi um blood money is coming up here again in just a couple of weeks and rick we kind of got a little bit of a bait and switch on smackdown when they're like hyping the return of goldberg 
Goldberg's going to be on Friday Night SmackDown, and then we get to Friday Night SmackDown, and it's dot, dot, dot via satellite. Hey, I guess they didn't lie, did they? Well, I mean, okay, when anybody who actually watched SmackDown, number one, I feel for you. I tried this week. I made it through about a half hour or so, and I just I, I couldn't take it anymore. So King Fuckface comes walking out at the beginning of the show, and he's demanding, like, another match with Roman Reigns and all this other bullshit, right? And I'm expecting, like, Baron Corbin would be a perfect matchup for Goldberg. Goldberg can come walking out, shut up Baron Corbin, sets up the match in Saudi. It's a 30-second squash. Spear, jackhammer, one, two, three. Baron Corbin can take that. It actually gives him even more fucking heat going out there and just getting squashed by fucking Goldberg. But no, instead, it's going to be the Jew versus the devil as it's Goldberg versus the fiend Bray Wyatt. Like, completely out of left field. Oh, yeah, for the championship of the universe. Like, I hate these fucking Saudi shows, man. I just fucking hate them. Well, I, I do how you love, love how you lay that out there. And, and, and more importantly, all right, you keep that heat on Corbin. He and it, he can thrive off of that, but it moves us off of what we've been stuck on with their programs ever since they moved to Fox. What they have been focused on is this program. I mean, when is this damn thing ever going to end? Never. And I think, you know, because of these people that are still locked into this thing, even they're starting to to turn on this thing. You've had other people turn like that are just been tuning out. Have you seen their number yet? I, I didn't know the the Goldberg tease of him actually being there, or just like being on the 2. show. Two point four million. Like the lowest okay. since like the the beginning of January, but like who cares? It's still two point four million. Like there there is over two million people that are going to watch this show, no matter how bad it is. And my God, it is awful. Well, so this announcement didn't move anything. Then no. we have our fixed we have our fixed viewership. We're going to be floating around that two to two five. That is fixed, and you know that's going to lock in each and every week. Now you're beginning to start losing them as well because you're running out here. This what this what they're presenting on SmackDown. This would have worked in the mid '90s or the new generation. This is 2020. This presentation and, and and you're you're booked in here with the NFL, with NASCAR, with baseball. You're supposed to be amongst those ranks when it comes to that audience you're drawing in for Fox, and, and you're running out this childish cartoon BS. And that's fine. There's a spot for that in pro wrestling, but not here in this spot for WWE. On prime time, Friday night on Fox. You know, we need that more serious approach to this thing. So, I mean, Corbin going out there week after week, and not even knocking it. You know that he's that he's using the royalty gimmick. We, we talked about how it works in other sports. You see it in MMA, boxing, because but it's about the swagger. It's about how you handle yourself. Where he's just coming off as a complete jackass. Oh, dude, look at King Mo versus King Fuckface. I mean, come on. Yes. Yeah. It's working for one guy. That guy would move numbers because it's all in that presentation. And you're repeatedly running this thing out. You could have put Goldberg out there, at least, at least drummed up some interest so that people might come back next week. Okay, this is something new. Uh, it brings back old fans. You talk about the popularity of Goldberg. You can you could hook some of those individuals to come back to see if he's going to come out here and just finally put down this piece of shit. But no, we're getting the same old thing here. Corbin and Reigns. Where are we going? Inside of a cage now? Yep. 
it, at least they're trying to rectify and, and it wasn't written off because of the dog food shit. Uh, but again, a, another chapter, you're dragging this out. People do not care. And, and then immediately when I'm talking about this childish cartoonish BS, uh, this interaction, this interaction here between the funhouse, it, there was a time I enjoyed the funhouse. You know, I, I thought it had some deeper meaning here, but now, I mean, now it's, it's almost like they're running this into the ground. You can tell that Vince is, is mucked this thing up with yeah. his fingerprints all over this thing and this newsroom thing. And then this back and forth on the satellite between these two absolutely does nothing. What, what do you do for that match? Well, that's the scary part. I mean, how, how are these two going to mesh together? It's becoming quite obvious that this fiend character is not working inside of the ring. Uh, and they've tried some different things. And I was even thinking back, you know, as we were talking going into the rumble, why did they need to put a gimmick on this thing? I think it was because they realized that the matches aren't working. So they're trying to overcompensate and it's just ultimately driving this thing further into the ground. You know, even inside of this thing with Goldberg's reasoning, you know, when he comes back, it's just these small things. Well, I never got my rematch. Well, those don't matter. <laughs> We've been working under the premise for over a year that you just don't get rematches. You realize this is the second time that it will be like, you know, the deepest, darkest characters in WWE history versus the Jew in Saudi Arabia. Last time it was Undertaker. This time it's The Fiend. There we go. I, I didn't make that connection. I was just so turned off by this damn thing. I mean, it, it's it's fucking sick, man. It's fucking sick. Um, speaking of, let's talk about Monday Night Raw. Well, if you know, if the Jew versus the devil isn't enough for you, we've got the Monday Night Messiah. I don't know how the Christian coalition isn't just all over their ass. Uh, the only two matches that's advertised for Raw tonight, Huckleberry, is going to be the Monday Night Messiah, AOP, and no longer my buddy Murphy, versus KO Joe in the Viking Raiders. I thought Joe was, like, suspended or something. Did, did Was that fake news? Yeah, I, when I saw that you had this on the run here, I, I was like, man, did I miss the Joe thing? Uh, I, I thought he was okay. I, I didn't see his name come up in anything. Okay, maybe maybe that was just the injury thing and somebody had reported they were suspended. That, that, that's entirely possible. There's so I, much I think of that, that might have been there. Well, we're getting a lot of these reports here on these on different suspensions, and one that keeps coming up here is the marijuana. Well, they, they don't suspend for that anymore. It's a fine, right? Yeah, well, that's what had been reported, but, I mean, who knows with those people, man? Well, then again, you know, even when I when I saw the show in the run, I was thinking with Joe, maybe he did, maybe he was looking for, he, he does have those nagging injuries. Maybe he was looking for, you know, uh, that quick fix, that that hurry up and heal, feel good medicine. Well, yeah, and I mean, if Joe's going to get suspended for anything, I mean, it, it would probably be smoking weed. I, I don't think Joe is on the gas. <laughs> you know, just saying. I, it, well, I'm going to have to spend him an RBV fit this T-shirt. <laughs> is this entire thing doing it for anybody at this point? This whole Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, Samoa Joe, AOP, no longer my buddy Murphy, Viking Raiders. Like, do, does anybody care about this program? Like, it it just seems like it's the the second or third story on Monday Night Raw at this point. Well, I, we're, we're getting some different stories here. You know what? And I, and I do want to give. Let's. Uh... I guess no pun intended, but I'll say praise that they are pushing the envelope there a little bit with the Monday night Messiah. I still just think, you know, believe me, and this is them being publicly traded. I was surprised that they especially went forward with the t-shirt. Yeah. Just, just knowing 
uh, that any of these, uh, what, Catholic, Christian, whatever groups, Baptist, I mean, anybody that, you know, is is into Jesus Christ was gonna, wasn't going to was going to jump down their throats in 2020 about this. So I'll give them credit, man. It, it, they're pushing that envelope a little bit. But here's the problem. There is a huge disconnect from how you've mishandled Seth Rollins for a year plus, essentially since returning from that injury. He has seemed to be off track, and you, you tried to force some certain things here. And, and ultimately, what it has done is expose his overall weaknesses. And it, it's put him in a position where so many are questioning on either side of the ball, can he be that guy? So I think in a sense, it is good that you step back and there's other stories going on where it's not about Seth. And now that he is, yes, the, the focal and he is the leader of this group, but you got some diverse talents in there. But even with the group itself, I, I think what's even more the disconnect is I'm having trouble buying who's opposing his crew. You know, even inside of itself, I, I don't think this has done anything whatsoever for for the Raiders, uh, for the short, you know, return there, a big show. I don't think it's done anything for really Joe himself. And I don't think it especially has done anything to, to promote or drive interest behind Kevin Owens. I feel like they're just running in quicksand. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. It, it's, it's just not going anywhere. Just it feels like a total mess to me. Um, and also tonight, you have to like scroll far, far down the WWE.com page before you can find out. But oh yeah, there's a raw women's championship match tonight between Becky Lynch and Asuka. Why do we need it? I have no idea why Asuka's getting a rematch here. I'm I'm kind of confused by that. Um, is this that that Becky just wasn't she just wasn't sure in herself that she got she got her revenge. She needs to do this again. Can we move away from Oscar in this position here? Where the fuck is Shayna Baszler? That's what I want to know. Where the fuck is Shayna Baszler? Like we're doing the Charlotte thing with Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. We'll talk about that here in just a couple of minutes, you know, and, and whatever the hell is going on with Bailey and, and the number one contender over there. I don't even remember who in the hell won that fatal four way because that's, uh, well, here's what got me in that. I mean, just real quick, because I know we don't have a, we don't have any SmackDown stuff outside of what we already talked about on this thing. But last year, you, you get this this whole presentation, this back and forth, the you know the, the welcoming back of Naomi, and then in, in this number one contenders match, like out of nowhere, they go with Carmella, and it's like, who cares? I mean, right, right now we're focused on we're waiting for Shayna Baszler to come and beat up Becky Lynch. And we're focused on this kind of menage a trois that we've set up down in NXT with Charlotte, Rhea Ripley, and Bianca Belair. Now, that, that, there was a lot of positives I took away from that one. Uh, it, there's some things down there that are worrisome with what's going on. But they can move forward with that program because that's more NXT. I wonder when we get right now with the red and blue, if we're kind of just, again, as you just talked about, running in place. Because they got to get through Saudi, and they know they can't capitalize on any of these women, and, and they have to hurry up and book this whole show here in what two weeks? Yeah, basically. So we we get Becky versus Oscar. I mean, the match should be good, but I mean, I expect that Becky wins, and we consider where we still just basically sit around and wait for Shayna Baszler. I guess. Uh, let's talk about NXT this week. Um, 
Huckleberry is the go home for takeover Portland. And number one, at the end of last week's show, we saw the return of the Velveteen Dream. Uh, Velveteen's been gone for this entire run on NXT. We thought that he was going to be a huge player, and then the injury bug bit him. Where do you think Dream kind of fits into this NXT roster right now? Well, as we regularly talk about, you know, it's it's so hard. Even like if you're going to debut or just return this time of year. Now, into Portland, then you're going to be going towards WrestleMania weekend. But I think if there was anybody that they absolutely needed to bring some attention to for potential star power uh, on much needed on Wednesday night, it, you got to believe it's the dream, right? I mean, there was a good energy, a great pop after you know they had realized, holy, holy crap, what's going on? The dream's back. He's in there. He's taking care of business. I uh, look good. I will say it first because I, I had just flipped back over. Uh, from AEW, and I had kind of, you know, I was kind of watching out of the corner of my eye because, you know, I, I figured that the big, uh, the six man, it was going to be what it was. And it's exactly, absolutely what it represents, just a big train wreck. So I, I kind of had it on. And when the lights went down and, the, the, you know, the presentation there on their Tron, man, I thought it was going to be Cross. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Cross here in just a second. Then I immediately, I was like, I, I, my attention went right to it, but I wasn't disappointed when I realized, oh shit, that's dream. And then he's standing there on the top rope. Here's uh, my but, thing though. If you're one of these hundreds of thousands of people who are now watching NXT that you've never seen dream on USA, you have no idea who he is. Are you into that? I think in a sense of the excitement. And let's, let's, how many new people have they pulled over here? I mean, they're, they're not exactly knocking it out of the park with those numbers and even just in comparison to what the hell was on USA before they got there. So I think there was enough there to get people excited or even in any kind of, you know, you obviously, okay, this guy's a baby. He's got some kind of beef. Even if you weren't familiar with him, now you're excited. So then now the follow-up for NXT has to be to reintroduce Dream. So you got to really, you know, emphasize that character work. One of the things that turned me off to it was kind of just the the flawed, you know, booking the logic. That match, it wasn't like it's announced. Right. The dream's just been waiting around trying to pick a spot. I mean, this thing was announced like halfway through the show. Right. No. And now he's ready to go. Yeah, no, that's entirely valid. Uh, let, let's throw it over to some comments from the Undisputed Era on Velveteen Dream. Undisputed Era, you guys seem to have Champa exactly. I have no idea. I have no idea. Somebody check her credentials. Kathy Kelly. But but just just to amuse ourselves, go ahead and finish your question. Go ahead. You guys seem to have Champa exactly where you wanted him. That's obvious. But then we saw a surprise appearance by Velveteen Dream, and Roderick Strong, he seemed to have a very personal message for you. I have never felt more disrespected in my whole entire life. Now listen, it was strictly business what happened between me and Dream before he was put on the shelf. But this, this is extremely personal. Dream's going to pay. He's going to pay big time. You know who else is going to pay? Uh, literally everybody else. We have done this same exact song and dance for far too long now. 
It's the Undisputed Era versus the world, am I right? Oh, Always. So, so whether it's Velveteen Dream, whether it's Tommaso Ciampa, I don't care who it is. The, uh, the Undisputed Era will be there to knock them down because that's what we do. We are the very best that not only NXT has to offer, but WWE has to offer. Place. We run this place and now we're going to go. Now we're going to leave. And that's Undisputed. Next time, bring Awful so there you go, Rick. It was strictly business what happened between Roderick Strong and the Velveteen Dream. I, I actually kind of agree with that. Like, I don't necessarily see what Dream's big issue is with Roddy. Well, you get taken out, man. It, it's, it, it might be business to them, but it's personal for him, right? To Dream. I don't know, man. It's just, I mean, accidents happen. Like, you got hurt. It, it wasn't like they well, I, beat him down to take him out. You know what I mean? Like... I, I feel like this is just kind of it, – it's a weird spot to bring Dream back to me. Well, it, it, Okay, even in this, you're, you're undisputed era, and you're going to sell it that way. Hey, man, we're, we're just professionals here. But then you look at how, you know, how they do conduct themselves. They are you know, low-down bastards. They cannot be trusted. And even in that sense, they took away Dream's livelihood for all this time. All this excitement that's going on, we just talked about. All this excitement that's happening – and Dream had to miss it. You, you gotta believe he'd be upset somewhat, right? Valid, valid. I don't know. It just it, it seems kind of odd to me. Kind of like that Johnny Gargano spot where it's like, oh, Johnny's good guy again, and it's like, wait, what? No, he's not. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Uh, let's talk about Bianca Belair before we talk about Takeover. Um, Bianca Belair out there in the ring this week with Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley and Rick. I feel like she completely stole. That entire oh, scene. I absolutely loved it. The oh no, you didn't. I mean, she was about to go straight, straight hood sister. Oh man. <laughs> dude, it was freaking it was incredible. <laughs> and you could just tell like you could and I'll I'll give them this because I you know, I I seems like this is what they're shooting for. You got the two up front, the stars there, and she's being dismissed. And, and we've been talking about here for, for weeks about how she could be a part of that next group, that next four that leads, you know, the Evolution 2.0 in Bianca Belair. I mean, she can reach that demographic. She's very athletic. The strength is incredible. She's got the, the persona. Uh, and she absolutely shined here. Now, in her shining, and Char was Char. I mean, it, it's the usual that we get from her. She, st she still seems to, like, be, like, Digressing, like she's going backwards here. But that was still like the best promo I've heard out of Charlotte. Yeah, and in like a year. It, well, and here's the major issue. There, it seems like they're trying to overproduce and manipulate Ripley. Yeah, she came off as terrible in this thing. She came off as Charlotte. Absolutely. Like, super robotic. It felt very, very scripted. Like she didn't even necessarily believe what she was saying. Yeah, I, not a good night for Rhea Ripley, but man, Bel Air just stole that whole scene. Where's Where's the Ripley that got her to this point? That brought her to the, the top of the mountain, that made her one of the alphas inside of WWE? I'm starting to wonder if I like her as a babyface. Like, it, it feels like her entire character is very much like Drew McIntyre at this point, and it's just not clicking for me. Like, that whole, like, we are NXT, rah, 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 I'm the face of the division, and the, the whole locker room follow me, and yeah, me and Bianca are going to beat each other up, but, you know, you don't belong here, so we're both going to kick your ass. It just, it feels very disconnected from the Rhea Ripley character for me. 
absolutely. And that's what turned that's what really turned me off here is when she started. We are we had a little saying around here. We are NXT. You've been there for like six months. Right. Yeah. It's just very, very strange. You know, we question like, why did the locker room empty out for her when she won the belt? It's like they're trying to overproduce. They're, they're, they're trying to sculpt this thing in this direction that they want to go. And the reason it was working is because it was organic. Right. It, now they're going to drive this shit into the ground. Well, it's the same thing with Becky. Like all of a sudden, Becky's like the corporate person. And it's like that's the exact opposite of what got her over. Now, there was one touch here that I really did enjoy from Char Char early when she when she got to the ring. And she motioned the Bianca to go open the ropes for her. <laughs> yeah, I when Bianca let out with that, you don't even go here. Yeah. I, I popped so freaking hard. Just absolutely fantastic. So TakeOver is going to be on Sunday. It's going to be a standalone TakeOver, kind of in that WWE you know, pay-per-view spot from Portland, Oregon. Rick, I'm looking forward to this show. I mean, a lot of times we look at a TakeOver lineup and we're like, eh, I'm sure it'll be good, but eh. I mean, you look at this lineup. This lineup is just fire. Well, it, you know, that was the concern. You know, first, we've seen them on their standalones where it, maybe it doesn't pull like it usually does. Or, you know, they, they really rely on being part of that big novelty weekend. Hey, they're doing everything they can to really send this thing home, especially with it being in Portland. It was another thing that we had kind of questioned, like why, why that market? Yeah. Bit of an odd choice. Um, they do have six matches announced for this show. Are we going to get dream and Roddy on this show too? You got six. Have they already announced one for the pre-show? Uh, not that I know of. I, I thought they had something for the pre-show. I thought it might've been the cruiserweight or something like that. Oh, Devlin versus somebody? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I thought they had something announced for pre-show. Not exactly sure, but what, six of them on there? I mean, could you see this thing running a little longer than a, a traditional takeover? That's what that I'm wondering, it, with it being a That standalone. it is a standalone? Yeah, it's interesting. Because, um, yeah, I could easily see that match being added to this card. Easily. No, that would, be, that would be interesting, though. Because, you know, a lot of the reasons that we do praise NXT takeover so much is because they stay true to that two and a half hour. Yeah. You know, you're in, you're out. I mean, it, it feels like the show just got started. And then when that main event hits, you know, that final bell, you're excited. You want more, you know, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, even going back to worlds collide when that thing's, when that show started to pick up momentum, it was like, okay, now do I do with the rest of the evening? Right. <laughs> you know, as opposed to W to the red or blue, when we're sitting there, you know, three and a half hours, it's like, please just put this thing to bed, put a bullet in it. Yeah. Um, so on the show, that's where we get the Ripley versus Bel Air match for the NXT Women's Championship. Huckleberry, I, everything says that Ripley is going to win this match. But after the events of this past Wednesday, I kind of want to see a triple threat. Would be interesting. Uh, but now we're getting rumors of, you know, a potential raw women's triple threat that I've seen. We still have no idea where, where they're going with Bailey. Does anybody if, if care? They, well, I, if you want to create some interest there, it, it, you're going to have to be very careful about how you do this to protect Bel Air, but I'd love to see Bel Air show up on the blue brand. 
Okay. Yeah, I could get down with that. I mean, at this point, I mean, if you have Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley and you have Becky versus some kind of combination of Rousey and Baszler, does it even matter what Bailey's doing? That's a pre-show match. I think you would get people interested in it if you let Bel Air have a crack at that. But I think that then it, then it brings up the bigger picture. Is that them actually acknowledging inside of the company how hot that NXT women's division is? And not only how hot that is, because, I mean, it is the best women's division in pro wrestling, but how pathetic the your red and blue women's divisions are. Yeah, completely agreed. So I, I, everything says Ripley goes over here, though, right? Absolutely. But but how do we get there, you know? How do we get there? We've got a kind of de facto number one contenders match. At least that's the way I'm looking at this thing. Finn Balor versus Johnny Loser. Well, I was just thinking back to that. I mean, could we end up have have Charlotte essentially play a hand in the outcome of Portland and set up at the elimination chamber Charlotte versus Belair? Yeah, I mean, I guess we could. We could. Yeah. You know, again, we got. There's a long way to go. Yeah, for sure. Finn Balor versus Johnny Loser. This one's a grudge match. Um, I I feel like this is a de facto kind of number one contenders match, Rick. Absolutely, but in, and we're talking about obvious outcomes. I mean, this to me, this has to be Balor, right? I would think so. I would hope so. I mean, I don't know why they call him Johnny Takeover. All he does is lose at Takeover. I think Gargano's got the worst record in the history of NXT at Takeover. But he's always there. But he's always more there. main events. Uh, he's had some big wins there. And you want to talk about? I really like the exchange between these two on this show. Yeah. No, I thought it was enjoyable. I, I like thought it. they both they they both brought some fire to this thing. Now. Is it, you think this is going to get a lot of attention on this show? Well, yeah, because I, I think you see Finn Balor versus Johnny Pathetic Loser. And you have to assume, like, if this is not a four-and-a-half-star match, it's going to be a disappointment, no, I, right? I meant, I meant like, on the go-home. Well, I mean, was that supposed to be last week? Is that our final selling point? Maybe we'll get this in mentioning on this on this go-home. Yeah, that would uh, be and, my and, assumption. I don't think okay. you see anything else out of these two because, I mean, they got to plug everything else. Like, we did see them hype Undisputed Era versus the Broser Weights a little bit last week on NXT. Um, Rick, there's a lot of talk about either Matt Riddle or Pete Dunn turning on the other one. Um, I, I don't think so. I think we could just keep these guys together. This seems like it's working. Uh, yeah. Now, do they take the gold? Depends on what you're going to do with the Undisputed Era. I mean, does Undisputed Era leave with any gold after TakeOver Portland? Well, you know, the, uh, you know, it was going to be their year. They went and captured it all. And you start to see those cracks as, as they lost the North American Championship. So, I mean, is, is this the beginning of the end? Yeah. Roddy kind of the uh, odd it, man out at this point. Absolutely. And is this where it all starts breaking down for them? And we start to see, do you think there's a possible program but with inside? Are they going to start turning on one another? Uh, do they look to other brands? This you know, could post be. WrestleMania, what is it? Well, you know, what is there left for Undisputed Era? This could be a heels over strong show as I'm looking at it. 
I mean, I, I can see Balor goes over Gargano, undisputed over the Broserweights, Tegan Knox over Dakota Kai, uh, Keith Lee and Dominic Dickhead, they, they're both baby faces, and then Adam Cole goes over on Ciampa. Like, this could be a, a heels over strong show as we head into TakeOver Tampa, which is going to be Mania Weekend. That's your baby's up show, right? Yeah, I could I could see getting there, but, I mean, as we're talking about uh, Balor and Gargano for a number one contender. I mean, what would you look for? And I, I think when we're placing this all together, we look forward to Tampa and we say, okay, what is our main event? What is our championship bout for that event for WrestleMania weekend? Uh, I mean, could you go in there, Adam Cole versus, versus Finn Balor? I mean, do you turn Cole at some point here? I don't know if you'd have to turn either one of them. You could go. You, you go in there, heel, heel. I think you could, because I mean, they're both heel, and that's what side of the ledger they fall on. I mean, both of those guys are over as a cool heel that gets cheered. And I think. It, well, like, even now with Balor, though, they do get those cheers, but they still are very different personalities. Very different Where, personalities. You know, Cole. You know, Cole is. He comes off more as that. It's just cool because he's just a jerk. Where Ballard now seems to like genuinely just be a bad guy. Yeah, and people like the bad guy. Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox. It's going to be a street fight. I'm going heels over strong on this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Tegan Knox at this one. You're going with if heels over strong. What you think you're going with Kai, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm totally backwards. <laughs> You threw me off on that one. Yeah, like, no, whoa, whoa, I'm whoa, tired. Whoa. Unless we are completely like like watching two different things, or we just are seeing this completely different. Yes, Tegan uh, Knox is clearly a terrible human being who had it coming. <laughs> yes, it, what a what a total bitch. Yes, uh, but you know what? This is one. I, I'm very happy that this got you know added to the show here. Uh, something I've been invested in, and I I thought the, these ladies have done a tremendous job here. Uh, but I, with that street fight stipulation in there i i know tegan has has been bringing the thunder uh she's not going to step down but i think i'll go with the heel here because i think kai is just going to go to those lengths that tegan's not you know prepared to go to yet just can't embrace dakota kai as a as a heel even subconsciously i just look at dakota kai and i'm like yeah she's a baby face uh, Keith Lee versus Dominic Dickhead for the North American Championship. Um, Rick, this is going to be the PWG match. Like We have seen bits and pieces of what Keith Lee and Dominic Dickhead can do to one another. This is going to be the full-on PWG match. Absolutely. Now, this is another one I find interesting is we're talking about going to Tampa, though. I mean, Keith Lee is, is white hot right now. I mean, could he be? If, if Adam Cole is going to emerge from Portland as, you know, still the NXT champion, could Keith Lee be that challenger in Tampa? Yeah, that's a very good possibility. And then we have Adam Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa, of course, for custody of Goldie. Um, Rick, there's a lot of people that think Ciampa is going to win the title here. I don't think the timing is right. I feel like we're at chapter one of the Tommaso Ciampa redemption story. At this point, I, I I feel like Adam Cole needs to win this match, and it's very possible that your match in Tampa is the rematch. Like somehow Cole goes over by nefarious ways. I could see that there, but I just wonder if 
is that too soon you know, for that rematch there? Are you going to go back to back on these big shows with this rematch? And there is something here that I do question with, with John Paul winning this thing. You know, since that return, it just seems like that the fire is not there. So maybe a loss would be good for him. Like Make me, him refocus. To me, I, I feel like, is there any question that Adam Cole is the biggest heel in NXT? Like he's he is the number one heel, right? I would believe so, yeah. I, I guess Finn could begin pushing him for that. Okay, and Ciampa is the number one babyface, right? Yeah. So don't you want your number one babyface versus your number one heel at WrestleMania weekend? Like, I feel like this is just, this is part one. Like, I, I feel like at some, Ciampa hasn't struggled at all since he returned. Yeah, and I guess there, that, is a, that is a tremendous point. I mean, you want your, your tops on each side going against one another. But, you know, I can begin to see cracks in that. I mean, where is Dream going to play into this? You know, is, is he going to take some of that momentum away from Ciampa? Uh, in the case of Adam Cole, what do you do with Balor? I mean, it, it seems like, a, and then you got Keith Lee there, who was absolutely white hot, as I said. It's it's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's a very good problem to have. Uh, let, let's talk about the empty seats. We, we know that they like to debut talent at the uh, takeovers and the empty seats in the front row. Uh, a couple of names that NXT is bringing in. Number one, Timothy Thatcher. Um, Rick, I have you seen much of Timothy Thatcher at this point? Uh, yeah, I'm. Decently familiar with him. That, that's kind of where I am, too. Where, where do you see him inside of a WWE context? I, I think he's going to be one of those individuals. Now, when we're you know, talking about Cross, I think that's someone that could, you just throw into the deep end. You want to make a huge splash with him. Uh, I think with Thatcher, it's going to take a little bit of time. You know, Get the familiarity build up. Let him kind of earn his way through those ranks. I almost feel like Timothy Thatcher would be better off for NXT UK. I could see that, you know, as we're talking about earning those stripes. Uh, and I think it would benefit, you know, himself and the UK brand. And then there's Killer Cross. Rick, how cool would it be? Because they haven't done it yet. We always see the guy in the front row, but we never see him jump the barricade and get involved. I think that person needs to be a Killer Cross. I want to see Killer Cross make a statement here. Maybe even like, I don't know. Keith Lee puts down Dominic Dickhead and Killer Cross chokes out Keith Lee. I could get behind that. I, I could see that. Uh, I think, you know, that, as I said, that immediately brings you in for a big match, right? I mean, that's that big splash that you want to make. Is Scarlet with him? I think with Scarlet is it's very interesting. Here's another point that, you know, people are always jumping to these things. Oh, well, so-and-so. Yeah, they're, they're dating someone at WWE, so they have to go there. Or, or, oh, I can't believe they go to AEW. They're dating so-and-so. If, why is it just like in professional wrestling where whoever you're involved with, either you're married or you're dating, engaged, that you follow each other around for employment? I don't know. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Do you see that anywhere else? <laughs> no, not really. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, my wife works over at so-and-so hospital. I guess I'll go over there and get a job. Maybe you don't like see that anywhere. Maybe like GameStop employees. Yeah, I could something see that. like that, I, right? Like the anime nerds. They all kind of flock uh, together. Juggalos. They all kind of flock whoop, whoop. together. Yeah, 
Uh, but it, here's another you know thing with with Scarlet though. They've essentially given Liv Morgan her her look. Yeah, I don't know. Like the hair, the the attire, all of that. Do you want to see Scarlett more as a valet, or do you want to see her as an in-ring competitor? Like, I don't want her to be Zelina Vega. Where is her strength lie? Do you believe, though? I mean, I mean, Vega. Look what. There you go. I mean, that's Vega. I mean, look what she has done. I mean, she and Vega's. And I'm still on the fence with Scarlett. I've seen some matches where it's like, okay, uh, she can go in there. And other times it's like, at, you know, just worry about your character work. Right. We're, we're Vega, you know, at times it's, we feel disappointed that she's not in there competing, but she brings so much in that other role. Would Scarlett add anything to the Killer Cross act? I guess that's the question. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you essentially need it with him. I don't. I mean, either. he is that lone killer, right? Right. That's the gimmick. He's out for himself. I think, you know, that would just take away. Well, and I mean, we have seen him do other character work, too, like on Lucha Underground when he was the leader of the Rabbit Tribe. Like, even that was awesome. You know what right. I mean? So, like, he can do all kinds of different character work. We don't know that the Killer Cross character is going to be coming to NXT. I mean, I don't see anybody calling him Killer on USA Television, you know? I, I think they absolutely, I think they could uh, I think it, it'll work. I mean, they have a killer already, right? Killer Kelly. Yeah, true, true. I mean, who? I don't. She might be on the way out. I mean, that's what I. I mean, she hasn't. I can't remember the last time I've seen or heard anything from her, even from like live event results. But, uh, uh, but again, I think the bigger question that you're right there, Jargo, is: Do they need each other? Do they? Ha- and do we trust? Yes, I mean, Vega's pulled it off with Andrade, but do we trust that they're going to get it right again? Well, or are we going to end up? Are they going to end up feuding with like Lana and Bobby or some shit? Well, and, and it's not like Cross needs a mouthpiece in any way, shape, or form. You know, like that's the thing with Vega. Like Andrade needs a mouthpiece. That just popped me when you said that mouthpiece. <laughs> You're awful. You're awful. Uh, speaking of killers, did you see uh, they're they're doing this uh, ruthless aggression docu series? Uh, I did. I saw a little bit of it. I was just kind of I was picking up the news, the news wire. How much, how much do you think they talk about Chris Benoit during that? Do they at all? If they do at all. And again, you know, that's going to infuriate people, but I mean, what do you, what do you ultimately have to gain from it? Well, I mean, he was just, he was such a big part of that era. Like, how do you not talk about his in-ring accomplishments and how do you not talk about his in-ring accomplishments Without talking about what a monster he was, you know, like I, yeah, I mean, and I guess there's a, I guess there's a way that you could spin it, you know, and, and I think in for WWE we're we're talking about you know this perception inside professional wrestling, uh, you know that this guy went absolutely ape shit and the most horrendous thing ever, killing his family, and it also you know it ties into the drug use and the early deaths. Uh, maybe you use that in a positive, you know, and not so much in a positive like, but you try to put a spin on there that. You know, this could happen. This, you know, things like this happen across all walks of life. And, and while you know you could absolutely excel and be a tremendous performer in all the accolades uh, on one side of your life, but this could happen anywhere that you absolutely snap and lose this thing. I mean, try to put it where okay, stop blaming pro wrestling. Yeah, I could see it turning into a WWE propaganda piece. They don't want to do that either. 
you know. And again, I think ultimately, and it will be a little weird, and people are going to be going ape shit if they would just admit all of that. But ultimately, what do you have to gain from it? And essentially, that's that's the main argument. You know, I wouldn't say argument, but support for why there will never be consideration for the Hall of Fame. There is absolutely nothing to gain from it besides popping a couple Mark Tards. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, let's talk about AEW Dynamite this week. Uh, Rick, just a couple of matches announced for Dynamite, too. They're getting kind of sloppy about that. I had to dig through the Twitter to find these. Riho versus Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's Championship. And then we're going to have Mox versus Santana. They're billing that as eye for an eye. That should be a whole lot of fun. And then your main event, the Omega Hangover, defend the AEW Tag Team Championships against SCU. Rick, this looks like a good show, but up against the TakeOver Go Home? Really? You know, this has been the last couple of weeks that I have found myself uh, leaning more towards, and I'm focusing more on NXT. Is that just because we're so close to TakeOver? And it might be inside of that excitement. And I think, you know, another, a huge part of that is when, when AEW is getting some things right and they're getting it right for certain individuals, I am, I'm, I'm really into it. Over the top into it. You know, with the Moxley thing this week, uh, setting up this match, this eye for an eye, uh, I like that. It, especially Jericho in the, in the, the post-interview. I mean, what kind of scumbag would take uh, uh, and try to spike someone's eye out, you know, just completely going crazy on it. They're all like those selling to, you know, what they have done. It, I thought that was great. Uh, Moxley right now. Damn, man. I, I know his name's going to come up a couple more times. I mean, that poor SOB, he can't catch up break anywhere, <laughs> but well, he's one of the hardest working guys, you know, in the business right now. Uh, but you know, something like that, I'm really enjoying that there. Then, you know, the, the lashings, you know, that was a moving piece. They handled that thing. Well, uh, that's a, some just true old school storytelling right there. I'm buying into those things, but then you, you run into where they're missing logic. And, and so many of these matches, even inside the, uh, the big eight man, it, it's where it's where they over the top as a video game that loses me. That they they have to perfectly set themselves up for these spots, and where it just doesn't seem like a like a a real fight going on. You know, going back here, you're talking about the ruthless aggression era, and those big names from there, like uh, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio. Mainly, you know, going back and watching some of those old nitros. I know you spent some time on the network going through the nitros. You bet. And you go look at those cruiserweight matches. Sure, they were they were crazy. They were over the top, especially for that time. But there was a different field of the flow. They looked legit at times, like they were on the fly doing these things, where it didn't seem so choreographed that we get so much from AEW. And I think one of the biggest problems with this, these two big companies is, you know, you got a publicly traded PC culture WWE, and you got a video game esque AEW. Where you're losing that true essence of pro wrestling between those two. You would think Stinko Malenko would like start slapping people around backstage, wouldn't you? I mean that 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 guy was like Mister Psychology. I could watch Malenko wrestle for hours. I, I think it's I think it's a, in a lot of cases here that it's a generation that's not listening, that's not going and studying. 
What, was it MJF last week that said that? He said the difference between me and the rest of this generation is I actually know my history. I actually study the legends. I listen to people. Uh, I think it, I can't remember. It was just a couple months ago, and I, and I want to say, maybe I won't even say a name, but Hameen was working a show with an individual involved with AEW, and as he tried to go up there and give a little advice about psychology inside the ring, completely no solding. Crazy. Crazy. And you're talking about somebody that comes from one of the finest pro wrestling institutes in OVW. You know, they, they trained under Mr. Old School himself, Rip Rogers, got there with Danny Davis, all those guys, trying to pass on a little bit of knowledge to somebody, and it was completely like, no, 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 no. I, I got to do my stuff. Crazy. Uh, let, let's talk about ROH. ROH uh, put on free enterprise last night from the UMBC Event Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Huckleberry, we kind of previewed this show earlier on, what was it, last week, two weeks ago? I don't remember when the hell it was, but it was a while ago. Um, and we thought, hey, this actually looks like it could be a turning point for Ring of Honor. This actually looks like a pretty good show. I was pretty happy with this show. What would you think of it? Yeah, I mean, let's uh, ring in the the reign of Marty, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, coming out of the gate strong here, there there, were, there wasn't a whole lot I didn't like. And it, it had a nice build throughout it. We did some business. We're building towards bigger and better things. And I think this was a tremendous first step in the right direction uh, for the new direction of Ring of Honor. Kind of run through the card here quick. Mark Haskins defeats Alex Shelley via submission, the sharpshooter, to kick off this show. Uh, Rick, this match was absolutely fantastic. This actually felt like it was a Ring of Honor matchup. Although, at a certain point, I found myself wondering, was that Alex Shelley NXT thing really just a one-off? Well, I was I was starting to look into this thing, and I, and I couldn't find like a definitive yes or no anywhere. Uh, but it looks like... It, there is potential going forward for NXT, but he still has some dates with Ring of Honor that he needs to fulfill. Interesting. Yeah, because it seems like all he does is lose at Ring of Honor, but th this was a fantastic match with him against Haskins. And I know he's got a few more things advertised with Ring of Honor, correct? Yeah, I believe so, going forward. So just I, I thought it very, very odd that that would just be a one-off. I mean, they did well, lose, just, I think, but... I think what makes it even more odd, though, is that NXT would bring someone in for a one-off. Yeah, it just seems very, very out of place. Vincent and Bateman defeat Joe Hendry and Dalton Castle. And then we got to see the debut of Slex. Slex versus Flip Gordon. And Rick, after watching Slex just once, I can tell you, I don't like this guy. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think it's going to be an acquired taste. That's for sure. But it's like, to tie this back into the last match, like I feel like he's Joe Hendry. Like we already have one of you. Well, and I think that was the biggest thing to take away from this is what is the where are they going to go with him? What's the direction? Yeah, uh, it, especially it was very odd to see where like how they placed these matches together. Maybe maybe they did want it familiar in our mind. Maybe he ends up with Hendry. Yeah, it, it just felt very very odd. Oh God, I could see the six man now: Joe Hendry, Dalton Castle, and Slex. Losing your debut match to Flip Gordon. We talk about Flip here in a little bit again. Uh, Alex Zane defeats Andrew Everett, and this just in. Jim Cornette had a stroke watching this match. Um, Rick, I, I, you know I enjoy junior heavyweight wrestling. I enjoy all the flips and the dives and all that shit. I didn't enjoy this match at all. This was just entirely too much. 
this was one of those that you know was a, a bit of a turnoff on this show to me. But again, it's it's one of those styles that I recognize, and I I go in knowing I'm not particularly going to enjoy it. But you can tell when it's done well, and this just wasn't. This is one of those cases where you're out there, you're you're over choreographing this thing. It, it's a it's a floor routine. This absolutely was one of those there. I don't know if, you know, Cornette might not be, he might not pick up on this match unless Meltzer starts writing about it this week and mentions him in it because he's still pretty hot on that Meltzer shit from last week. Yeah, that's true. Man, that that was quite the story there last week. Um, but, you know, when it t- comes to flips and shit, there's one tag team that's really, really good at it, and they're called Mexi Blood, the team of Bandito and Flamita. And on this show, Huckleberry, they took on one of your favorite teams, the Briscoes. Now, you want to talk about a clash in styles, but holy cow, did this thing work. Like, you want to see people that do dives and flips and do it the right way? All you got to do is watch Mexi Blood. But if you want to see a believable punch or kick, this is not the matchup for you. If it's coming from Bandito and Flamita, thankfully, the Briscoes got you covered because they can do plenty of that shit. My God, this match was insane. Well, you know, inside they're known for their brawling style, but the Briscoes can mix it up. I mean, they go technical, they go high flying, whatever you need brought to the table. That's what you're going to get from these guys, from them boys, because that's why they are absolutely two of the best in the world at what they do, especially when it comes to tag team wrestling. Uh, yeah, these this thing worked well together. But I, I was thinking about that as you're looking at these punches thrown. You think the Briscoes are kind of like, uh, what, are, what the fuck are they doing? I just do not understand how these luchadors can do all this crazy shit, but there ain't a goddamn one of them that can throw a believable punch or kick. I don't understand it at all. It's the lifestyle. It's just fucking baffling to me. I don't understand it. And it's like all luchadors. It's just insane. Unless you're Dragon Lee and you're slapping the shit out of Hiromu Takahashi. Talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, But we had your Battle Royal, Huckleberry. I know how much you enjoy Battle Royals. Kind of run through the participants in this thing. You got the Blue Meanie. Nice to see him make an appearance. Gangrel. Yeah, he's still alive. Crowbar, Maria Manic, Dan Housen, the Beer City Bruiser, and Brian Malonis. They found their way back from the NWA. Silas Young, Josh Woods, Delirious, Tracy Williams, Rhett Titus, Kenny King, Dak Draper, Brian Johnson, Eli Isom, Cheeseburger, LSG, PJ Black, and Dragon Lee? Rick, I was so freaking confused because I know Dragon Lee just wrestled Hiromu Takahashi Sunday morning in Osaka. Like, And I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, man, he that would have had to be a really fast plane and like get directly off the plane and drive directly to the building. And then he just like kind of laid in the corner for most of the match. And I thought, Jesus Christ, is that Dragon Lee? Hey, I mean, the, the timing here, man. I didn't know it was like a time machine or how the hell they did this. Because he looked like Dragon Lee, didn't he? I mean, I know he was wearing the jersey and shit, but crazy, right? One guy who was not happy to see Dragon Lee was his, his stable mate in La Faction in Gobernable, and that's Kenny oh. King. What, maybe it was uh, John Moxley dressed as Dragon Lee. Oh, well, we would find out who was dressed as Dragon Lee 
Kenny King wasn't buying it. He wasn't buying it at all. And Kenny King did that stupid fucking gimmick where he just hides underneath the ring and then he pops out and he tries to win the Battle Royal just like he did in uh, Madison Square Garden earlier this year. Except this time, it didn't work. Dragon Lee, like, he, he, he pulled the rope of dope and got himself back in, tosses Kenny King out, and then he would unmask and we would find out that it's Flip Gordon. So Flip Gordon now owed a world championship match against his stablemate and Villain Enterprises, PCO. Rick, what the fuck, man? Yeah, this this really seemed, you know, it's one of my favorite gimmicks, man. Anything over the top. So I enjoyed that there. And any time, you know, with one of these matches, it is fun to see some older names, you know, familiar faces make return and get a little bit of a spot. I remember when we were reviewing this thing, even you were asking, like, how the hell are they going to fill this thing? With, with all the matches that we knew on this card, how are they going to fill this thing? So that's a fun part of this. And I guess the, the Kenny King, that began to play at in real time. I'm watching it, and it was a little bit of a deterrent. You know, it's like, okay, we're doing this again. But it makes a lot of sense. But again, to be giving out, you know, just arbitrarily handing out these title shots and then to have Flip now being the one that's prepared to score off against PCO, which is, it's going to, it's I don't know. It seemed a little too much for me. Yeah, talk about a clash of styles. I mean, just very, very strange. The only thing I did like in this thing was Maria Manic going absolutely crazy and tossing everybody out before Bully Ray basically pulls her out of the ring and puts her ass through a table. Rick, I enjoyed this part of the Battle Royal. I think it's one of those things I just don't know if it's ever going to get old, just seeing seeing Bully beat her up. Yeah, it's fun for me. I enjoy it. Um, then we had another big mess. Uh, Session Moth Martina makes her big debut off against heel Sumi Sakai. And Rick, I think I think they're still wrestling. That's how long this match was. I, I was literally sitting at work watching this match. And I went, oh, my God, why is this match still going? It went like 12 minutes. This thing could have went four minutes and it would have been too long. Yeah, I actually I left this match twice. And came back and was like, this is still going on. Like, I, I thought, like, my my feet had froze. What do we do with Women of Honor at this point? Stick it back on YouTube? Because it's not worth watching at these events. The whole division's just a mess. Are we at a point where if it went away that anyone would miss it? No. No, I think at this point it's genuinely hurting the show. And unless you're you're really going to invest in a clean slate and just starting over with everything here, uh, I, I don't know if this thing is in its current state of it's worth going forward with. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I think it's... And I think, you, you know, you do have a way that you could go clean slate, you know, introduce a new tournament with entirely a new cast of talent. And really focus on this thing, you know, give it some steam, but it, it's, it needs to be built from the ground up or just let it go away. Hopefully Jonathan Gresham can kind of get these ladies and where they need to be to be on national TV. Cause right now it's, they're just not, uh, let's talk about four guys that absolutely are Jeff Cobb and Dan Moff defeat lethal suction and approving ground match. Now they're owed a championship match against Jonathan Gresham and Jay lethal. Rick, we knew this match was going to be good and it did not disappoint even a little bit. Absolutely. This, this was one of the highlights of the evening here. Looking. So we've been looking forward to Cobb and math. 
Uh, they get the champs here. Usually not a fan of this of that style. You know, they set up your your matches in these proving grounds, but uh, this one worked for me. And I'm looking forward to round two, and I'm looking forward when we up the ante and the belts are on the line. The only thing I didn't like is at the end, I got to see Jeff Cobb and Dan Moff hug, and it's like, wait a minute, these guys are getting along now? I liked it much better when they just disliked each other. Not so much that they have to dislike each other, but I want that tension there, that they both know they're there for that business. Yeah, yeah, that just seemed a a bit misplaced. Uh, Two guys not going to hug each other, Brody King defeats Ray Horace. I don't think anybody's giving Brody King a hug. Um, Brody King's kind of a big, scary dude. I'm happy he resigned with ROH. He was kind of the odd guy out in Villain Enterprises. Nobody was sure if he was going to resign or not, but sure enough, he did. Um, ROH trying to at least hold on to the talent that they have, and hopefully Brody King is in for a big push in 2020. Well, especially when you look inside of Villain Enterprises himself. You know, Flip has, has always been a backbone there. Uh, you know, since his rise, you got Marty with the book now, who is still with one of the company's biggest stars, PCO over like crazy. But when we talk about the true talents in that group, Brody King, it's going to be interesting how they can break him out from this pack. Because I think, you know, if he's handled properly, I mean, he could, have, like you said, have a serious run near the top of Ring of Honor. He could have a Shane Taylor-like year in 2020. Be a bona fide main eventer come next year. Talk about Shane here in a second. Uh, PCO and Marty Skrull defeat Nick Aldis and Roosh when, predictably, Roosh walks out on the match. Rick, we called this. I We knew somebody was going to screw the other one when it came to Nick Aldis and Roosh. This, this was never going to work. And we called it right down to the T where it's just going to be a walkout. Yep. Now, how are they going to handle all of these big names inside of this match? Uh, so, yeah, Roosh pulling... Pulling the Irish exit, taking off here. PCO pins Nick Aldis. And, Rick, we've got quite the interesting conundrum going on now when it comes to Sweet Sweet Charlotte and uh, Nick Aldis and Ring of Honor. As we would get Marty Skrull countering Nick Aldis's offer. Now, earlier in the night, Quinn McKay would catch up with Nick Aldis before the show, and this is what he had to say when it came to Marty Skrull and him challenging for Sweet Sweet Charlotte. Because I'm here to strut my stuff in Baltimore, Maryland, and prove that Baltimore is NWA country in the main event of free enterprise. And let's talk about enterprise for a moment. Let's talk about business for a moment. Because when Marty Skrull threw our friendship and our brotherhood aside for the sake of his enterprise. He threw it away at the expense of my business. Because Marty, you got your big money deal. This is my big money deal. Because between pay-per-view revenue, ticket sales, appearance fees, licensing and merchandising, this is a ticket to over half a million dollars in revenue for me and my company. And you want to take that away from me to further your enterprise. So it isn't strictly business, it's personal. So tonight, after Roosh and myself take out you and PCO, I expect an answer because I want you to put your money where your mouth is. Because if you're going to take this from me, you better have something to lose. And by the time this is all said and done, you will know why they call me the dealer. All right, Rick. So Nick Aldis lays out that this is how much 
the the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship means to me, how much it means to the NWA. This is a half a million dollars, a half a million dollars established. You know that that's how much I'm going to make, how much the NWA is going to make. This is how we stay in business. So at the end of the night, after the match, Marty would take the microphone, and this is what he would have to say to Nick Aldis. He's got a microphone. Slow down, Nick. Slow down. Nick, you want your answer. You want me to put my money where my mouth is? Well, listen, Nick. When we face each other, if I beat you, I become the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Wow. You say that belt is worth half a million dollars to you. Well, how about this? If you beat me, I will personally write you out a check for half a million dollars. Wow. And we know it's good for it. Oh, and by the way, there's one more for you, Nick, and I want you to listen. Your opponent for Supercard of Honor is the man who just beat you. P.C.O. What? Oh, my God. What? And P.C.O. can survive Nashville, St. Charles, and Las Vegas. It could be champion versus champion, Caprice. Rick, I liked it better the other way. I, the original deal was that if Marty won, he got Sweet Sweet Charlotte, and if he lost, he had to refund everybody's price of admission that showed up to the show, right? Like, that felt like it was pretty high stakes, but now Marty has changed it, and it's going to be $500,000? Marty's just going to write a check for a year's worth of having Sweet Sweet Charlotte? Like, I liked it better when the fans actually benefit from this, like... I feel like we took a step backwards. Yeah. It, you know, as we were talking, when we found out, you know, that potential stipulation is the great divide that it put in there. And again, it played perfectly in the oldest, you know, that, that two faced, you know, personality that he has there where he comes off as this proud grand fighting champion, but he's always got some, you know, underhanded tactics that he's going to employ. And that's what we had there. So what this did is, okay, people love Marty one of the most beloved in the world when it comes to professional wrestling. Now, how loyal will those fans be when they can earn something at Marty's expense? Pun intended, at ultimate expense. Not only him losing and being embarrassed by all this, but then he'd have to turn around and refund all of their money. You know, you're creating that great divide. That was some classic storytelling. This, it, it seems like they did this backwards. Yeah, like... It, that this the first stipulation should have been the upping of the ante like yes yeah i i don't know that this one kind of felt like a miss to me but what did feel like a hit is that it's super card of honor it's going to be wrestlemania 6 man it's going to be champion versus champion pco versus nick aldis now, I don't know if any championships are going to be on the line, but Nick Aldis looked horrified at the potential of having to have a singles match with PCO, and that makes it fun for me to watch. Absolutely. I was going to say, you know, we've got some time for this thing to play out. We don't know if anything's going to be on the line, if it's winner take all, what it's going to be. Uh, but even inside of that, you know, to have PCO 
a partner of Marty Scroll going there to start taking care of business for him. Maybe finish business. I like it. But we still haven't had an announcement on a Crockett Cup date yet. No, no, we have not. Um, so, so we don't know when that match is going to go down with well, with Marty and Aldis. Well, and the other thing that we haven't had yet is Shane Taylor. Shane Taylor has announced that he has re-signed with Ring of Honor. Shane tweeted out yesterday, every demand met, pen to paper done. The partnership between Ring of Honor and Shane Taylor Promotions isn't going to end anytime soon. Highest single fight, single per fight deal, guaranteed six-man title shot, guaranteed world championship shot, hashtag by any means necessary. Rick, I said a while ago, I think Shane Taylor is the next Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. I'll say it again. I think Shane Taylor is the next Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. I could absolutely see that. Now, in that stipulation with the with the world title shot, I mean, is that kind of an open contract? He picks his shot? That's kind of the way that he laid it out, the way that I understood it. It's okay, like, a, it's I mean, like a money in the bank kind of thing. Yeah, that's I wasn't exactly sure. So he could come, you know, like a buzzard, pick the bones. Absolutely. Of, of somebody, you know, if, if that be, I guess, yeah, you'd have to get P, PCO, right? If he's going to be the next. And I could absolutely see Shane Taylor being the one to beat PCO. I mean, when I look at the rest of that Ring of Honor roster, like that was the problem with putting the title on PCO is then you got to figure out how in the hell do you get it off of him? Shane Taylor. Uh, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense to me. Let's talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling as we wrap things up this week. New beginning in Osaka. Osaka, Joe Hall, Rick, 11,411 people at Osaka Joe Hall to enjoy the new beginning in Osaka. They normally do this at the gymnasium, which is down the street a little bit, which only holds like 4,000 people. This was a huge get for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, they just continue to pick up steam. Uh, a hot show. Uh, audience look great. You no, know, they were they were into this thing. Well, as, as much as I guess you could be for uh, a Japanese audience, but you could tell they were excited. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I as much as I enjoyed this show, inside of itself, I think the real fireworks were in the post post show interactions. As often they are. Uh, let's kind of run through the card. Nakanishi, Tenzan, Kojima, and Nagata defeat the team of Makabe, Honma, Hanare, and Taguchi. This is uh, Nakanishi's retirement tour. He's got four matches left, Rick. Nakanishi was before our time of really getting into New Japan Pro Wrestling. I know the history of Nakanishi. He was actually a Japanese like um, amateur wrestler um, at the Olympic level. He's kind of like the Japanese cross between Lex Luger and Kurt Angle. Dude, that, that sounds absolutely insane to make those comparisons. But uh, I'll tell you what I feel bad with him with. And you're right. You know, I haven't, I haven't known him all that, all that much. I haven't really seen too much of his work. But on a retirement tour, you start to pay a little bit of attention. I feel bad for his timing on this. You know, we're talking about the if the XFL following the Super Bowl, following the NFL and their timing. I mean, to now that you're on your farewell tour after you know how emotional the Liger run was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, so you gotta you gotta feel you gotta feel for him in, in that sense. Especially this close, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, Rapungi 3K with Rocky Romero and his annoying ass blaster cannon defeat the Suzuki Goon team of Kanamaru and El Desperado. Rapungi 3K finally get themselves a title defense, get that monkey off their back in their fourth championship reign. Um, but Rick, we have show he's got himself a bit of a knee injury and it seemed like yo and El Desperado, they were kind of starting something up. I thought maybe we were going to see a singles program, but then we would see Taguchi come out in his full ridiculous getup. And he says, he's to balling, Rocky, baby. He's, balling. he says to Rocky Romero, Hey, we're the mega coaches. We should be the number one contenders to the IWGP Junior Tag Team Championships. Here's the ball. What do you want to do with it? You want to come with me or you want to go with Rapungi 3K? And Rocky chooses fucking Taguchi, the most successful IWGP Junior Tag Team wrestler in history. Rocky Romero, an eight-time champion with six different partners, looking to make it nine and seven against Rapungi 3K, his understudies. Rick, this is going to be so much fun. You know what? It's this thing was playing out. I'm still even questioning it. Like, is this happening? Is he going to leave them? And uh, for Taguchi, of all Rup- people, and Rapunky didn't seem like they were too thrilled about the you know the potential of this of a battle between these between these sides. They seemed like they felt a little let down. At least that's what I got in the translation. Yeah, that that could be a fun one. The Golden Aces and Finn Juice, that being the team of Kota Ibushi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, and David Finley, defeat the Bullet Club team of G.O.D., Chase, and Yujiro when Hiroshi Tanahashi rolls up Tango Loga. So now we are poised for the Golden Aces to go after G.O.D. for the IWGP World Tag Team Championships. Looks like that's going to happen on New Japan Road. Rick, poor Finjuice. They, they win World Tag League. They finally win the tag titles from G.O.D., only to lose them on a non-televised show. And now they're completely shut out of the title picture. Thanks, Ace. Out of the picture. That's what they got out of this? Yeah, basically. They're going to be sitting around waiting. I'm guessing probably Tanahashi and Ibushi win, and then they have to defend against Finjuice. Not to be out there. They, they just play hot potato with all those fucking belts. Either that or a three-way, which I don't really like that either. Which is even more rare than yeah. than switching titles. Then we start getting to the good stuff at New Beginning in Osaka. We get to the special announcements. G1 Climax is going to kick off in Osaka September 19th and 20th, with the finals being October 20th. Rick, of course, it got pushed back because of the Olympics being in Japan. So instead, New Japan Pro Wrestling is going to go do a tour of Hokiado. Uh, first time in like 22 years that they're going to do a full tour of Hokiado. So that should be pretty cool. August 22nd. They also got a big road trip coming up. It's going to be Wrestle Dynasty, a show that's equal to or greater than Wrestle Kingdom inside of Madison Square Garden. Rick, we saw the G1 Supercard last year. We know how fast it sold out. Can New Japan Pro Wrestling sell out MSG all by themselves? Well, I think, you know, that was the, you know, last year, the partnership that we had seen, you know, coming together with Ring of Honor. But most certainly, that is where the tide really seemed to change. As as that show wrapped up, it was very clear to so many that that was about New Japan, and they had carried that thing. 
Now, have they, have they maintained that popularity? Are they still rolling in that right direction or, or enough so that they can carry this thing? That's going to be the big question. I, I, I guess throw it, at, throw it back at you, Jargo. Where do you stand on this? I, well, you know, I felt a whole lot better until I realized that August 23rd is SummerSlam. So the day after this Madison Square Garden show, and that's at TD Garden in Boston. Um, I don't know how much overlap there is between the Boston market and the New York market, but I kind of feel like you're going to be forced to choose between Wrestle Dynasty or NXT TakeOver Boston and um, SummerSlam. And how much of that is, is there enough to go around? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would guess obviously WWE is going to have their build in their audience. They're going to travel for that. They're going to be heading to Boston. Now, is that going to be enough inside of New York, New Jersey to pull a significant number? Or is that audience there in even, you know, traditionally that North that Northeast audience are a bit smarkier. They they go for different trends. Will they stick around? Will your bellows and your big rays and your billy rays, will they stick around your, all your hustle guys, will they stick around for that? Or will individuals like them travel? I think that they'll, I think they'll be able to sustain that. Now, are they going to be able to hit those same numbers that we saw with last year's show? Uh, quite possibly not. Also, again, you know, who is going to be available for this? Uh, will these AEW talents go work that show so that you do have that, that crossover appeal with the talents that we're more familiar with? Yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that card. I, and I guess, and I really guess, you know, the big question is: Could you have, could a Moxley or a Jericho work that show? How is that going to work out with their contracts with AEW? Yeah, I, I that's all going to come down to legalese and wording. I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah. Um. Then the show really, really picks up. Okada and Osprey defeat Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. Osprey and Zack Sabre Jr., they're going to have another rematch on Friday. Your call for the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship, a match seven years in the making. Rick, I think Osprey's going to finally beat Zack Sabre Jr. and win this championship. See what's interesting here is between these two, this build up here, now we've got so much more that comes into play here. Is Zack Saber Jr. is is now looking to to grab two titles of his own. Yep, Zacky two belts. And, and this is, or is he is he putting too much on his plate right now? Oh, I think he's definitely got too much on his plate right now. But we'll, we'll talk about everything he's got on his plate here. In a I second. was going to say it's kind of difficult to talk about one without the other, and that's yeah. in for both cases. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll come back to to Zack Saber Junior. Switchblade Jay White defeats Sonata. Uh, Rick, where is the Sonata stock at this point? Like, I feel like Sonata always gets himself into these big matches, but then all he does is lose them. Like, is Sonata advancing anymore, or is he just kind of? treading water at this point i think it's it really to the point i mean we're talking about someone in sonata that for so long you know even when i started you know really following and you're bringing me up to speed on everything that's new japan wrestling just a couple years now it, it was still then okay keep your eye on sonata he's been kind of benchmarked as a potential ace but as you as you point out there jargo it's he's he doesn't seem to be progressing and while he does continue to find himself in these big moments, 
eventually when you you're not finding that success, you begin to go backwards, right? Yeah. I kind of feel like Sonata needs to leave LIJ. Like if in order for Sonata to continue to progress, he needs to get out of LIJ. Because at best case scenario, he's going to be the third most popular guy in his own faction. Worst case scenario, he's like the fifth most popular guy in the faction. Because Sonata, Shingo, and Evil are all pretty damn close. But there's no way he's touching Hiromu or Naito. I was going to go one further here. It's interesting that you had mentioned leave the faction. Because I was going to ask you, does, does he need like a, a midlife excursion? Yeah, that probably wouldn't hurt him. You know, one of those things where, and we could tie our ideas together here. You know, maybe he leaves for a year or so, and then when he when that that grand return, that he would defy Lij. I could get behind that and and see if he could find because as you're talking about leaving Lij, I just don't know where he would go right now. You know, where else he would fit in inside New Japan. So that's where I got, you know, I, I began thinking about it. It was like, okay, what if he could just just leave? And I think he would have decent success going somewhere else for a year or so. Yeah, no, and, I and could, especially I think like could be, Rev Pro. I think that would be a great excursion for Sonata for a year. See, there you go. So I was trying to think, you know, uh, if there was anywhere in the States, even, even if it was where he just focused on like New Japan, America. Where he was wasn't exactly there for that audience, and I, I thought, you know, a couple places in Mexico. Uh, wasn't his actual excursion TNA? He wasn't on excursion because he didn't go through the dojo. Oh, okay, I, but he did. Okay, but he did come through TNA. He did some time over here. Yeah, he did. He did come through TNA, but he is not a product of the New Japan dojo. Okay, okay, uh, that's where I was a little disconnected with that. Okay, but he was over here, and yeah. he had good, decent success there. Yeah, with this athleticism, uh, it was. I think he had a, a one or two, at least a decent reign with the X Division Championship. Made a couple of friends too, like Okado and Naito and Yujiro. TNA had a big influx of Japanese talent there for a while. Yeah, you know, and then if it's not maybe official, I mean, there is some ties in, and I, I, I don't know. I'll come to Ring of Honor, shit. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, if there was. Him. Yeah, I didn't know there was some way with AEW. I mean, there's options out there where he could step away and, and create one of those scenarios where, you know, we can't miss you if you don't leave. Right. You know, so drum up that interest and then come back to see if there is a real shot for him to move forward. Because, as you said, it's he keeps putting these big moments here, but there's no, there's never that big payoff. So you begin to lose faith in him. One guy that we definitely missed while he was gone was Hiromu Takahashi. Thankfully, Hiromu has returned. Unfortunately, he had to face off with Dragon Lee for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Rick, as Rich Fan from the PW Torch said on Twitter yesterday, this is basically Peter Griffin versus the chicken. As soon as these two guys see one another, they just have to fight. That's, that's basically this. These guys have had over 30 singles matches throughout their very, very young careers. Oh, yeah. And Dragon Lee broke Hiromu Takahashi's neck. Um, this match was no disappointment. I mean, they just beat the ever-loving shit out of one another. One of these two guys is going to end up dead. That This is basically Joker versus Batman. It only ends when one of them ceases to exist. Yep, pretty much. That's how it goes. And then they're just going to be fighting on the other side. Yeah, I mean, they just... 
these two guys, I mean, I was holding my breath. There was a couple of times where Dragon Lee actually teased going for the move that broke Hiromu's neck. And it was just like, don't you fucking do that. Jesus Christ, what the hell is wrong with you? I, you, you were talking about some of those, I mean, just vicious slaps. Uh, La Lucha that comes, you know, coming unmasked, if you will, here. For, you know, where, the, you know, where were some of these chops coming from? Shit. Good God. Well, and they're juniors, which means they have to slap each other like three times, you know, to equal like one Walter chop. And both of these guys look like they were freaking hamburger by the end of the mash. Dragon Lee with like the most insane Tope Suicida that you've ever seen. My God. He's, these two guys. And, and then you transition then you transition from this thing into our next match. John Moxley defeats Minoru Suzuki, and Suzuki enjoyed every fucking second of it to retain the IWGP United States Championship. Uh, Rick, before we even talk about what, what happened post-match, how much fun was this fucking wrestling match? If you even want to call it a wrestling match, it was a fight. It, it, in the way that these are put together, too, you know, it's not like these Western-style hardcore matches that we're used to. I mean, this is perfectly how you said it there, Drago. This was a freaking fight. And that sadistic bastard, Suzuki, loving every minute of it. They're both sadistic bastards. I, I know, but even in defeat, you know, you, and hey, this this outcome, it, it really shocked me. It surprised me. Uh, I I thought that they're going to Suzuki get get Moxley here, uh, but it, even afterwards, if you're looking at these two inside the arena. It looks like, you know, Mo- it took a hell of a lot more out of Moxley because Suzuki, he's over there. He's throwing rails around, but he's still that sadistic bastard laughing his ass off. But he, he loved ab- absolutely every second of this thing. That was kind of my problem with it. Like, I love the hell out of this match. But when it ended, I was like, that's not the end of this match. Like, Suzuki's still laughing. He's still having fun. Like, and and the then the way Suzuki was acting after the match, it's like, Suzuki could have kicked out if he wanted to. Like, why? Why did Suzuki just lay down for Moxley? Well, in that real time, yes. But then, isn't the brilliance of what we see play out? I mean, crazy. The, what's, the setup was on. Just fantastic. Just great stuff out of Minoru Suzuki and John Moxley. Match was a lot of fun. And then we get Zack Saber fucking Junior. The setup was on. ZSJ slides his way into the ring and he chokes out John Moxley like the little freaking snake person that he is from the house of Slytherin, Zack Sabre Jr. Um, talk about a contrast in styles, man. This match is going to be interesting. Uh, so we have Zack Sabre Jr. versus Osprey on Friday. And then on New Japan Road, we're going to get John Moxley versus Zack Sabre Jr. And oh, yeah, Moxley's also training for a match with Chris Jericho, I mean, well, crazy well, next stuff. Week, next week, he's going into uh, to, into another war, an eye for an eye. He's just coming off of this hellish thing. You get Zach Sabre Jr. coming in. He grabs that belt, that belt signifying his intentions, and then he just takes it to Moxley, who just went through absolute hell, absolutely to set off son, and, and then we go to the back there. where You, you got <laughs> Suzuki's already done his cut. That sick bastard's still laughing about everything. He absolutely loves it. Zack Sabre Jr. comes in, and he just sits down, calm, cool, collective. Jonathan Moxley. 
you know, makes what lets it be known perfectly clear that he wants to be the the British champion, the United States champion. That not only is that that he wants to be the United States champion, but our country is such a mess; it's in shambles. Our president's a joke. So I, I don't know if he was declaring himself eligible for the twenty twenty election. There, he could probably win too, as socialist as he is. Um, and then on, by comparison, we have John Moxley who comes in and says, you know, that he has the utmost respect for Minoru Suzuki, but, you know, I don't take anybody's shit. And so I beat up Minoru Suzuki, and then the human Wuhan needle, noodle, Zack Sabre Jr. comes in. I yeah, fucking popped dude. so fucking hard for that. Well, it, The whole thing, he comes in, you know, and he, he he's pretty much, his plans were ruined. You know, he doesn't know what jet lag is. He's traveling around the world. He was going to come in here for the fight of his life, grab his greatest victory, his greatest moment, professional wrestling. And he was going to hit the town. He was going for a little sake, right? Uh, he was going to enjoy some of the, the fine cuisine and all that. Well, no, then, no, no, no. I want to talk about this because he said that he was going to enjoy a noodle sandwich. Rick, I, I'm assuming this is some kind of Ohio delicacy since you put your fucking chili on fucking noodles. What exactly is a noodle sandwich? I, you know what? I've actually been thinking about doing this here. And I, I don't think it's actually a – maybe it's just, you know, I, I was over towards, you know, Moxley's stomping grounds here. Maybe we were just on the same page this weekend. Do you just put, like, noodles this. on a sloppy Joe? Is, is no, that no, what no, we're no. talking about here? No, you know, because you, you take what we do with our with our great chili, the Cincinnati-style chili, and we put that on noodles, and we put onion on there, and then we put the cheese. But we also have the cheese Coney style, which is, you know, the, the dog, the bun, our chili, onions, some savory yellow mustard, all that finely shredded cheese on top of there. But you could replace the hot dog with the spaghetti we use on our ways, and you can combine those and make it a Coney way. I've been thinking about this for a while, and now Moxley just takes it international here. Fucking you, you people! You, I'm, uh, I you hope Zack Saber Junior. chokes this motherfucker out. You know what? That socialist, British loving bastard. Maybe he should lose an eye or two. Hey, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Um, all right, let, let's talk about the big one. Tetsuya Naito defeats Kenta to retain the double championship. And, you know, if Jim Cornette had a stroke watching that Andrew Everett match and versus Alex Zane on Ring of Honor, he had to absolutely love Tetsuya Naito versus Kenta. These guys didn't even touch for the first five minutes of the fucking match. Storytelling, baby. Oh, dude, Kenta yep. was getting booed out of Osaka. They actually got Osaka to cheer Tetsuya Naito. That's an accomplishment. Well, it, it, you were talking about how they were very being very selective in choosing opponent there, as history Naito has not had uh, good feelings expressed towards him. So they put him against Baron Corbin. Kenta equal Baron Corbin. And, Absolute and it, and it heat there. magnet. And I think, too, you know, outside of, you know, the heat magnet there that 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 respect for Naito, that, that he is able to finally overcome and achieve that goal there. But, yes, I mean, this I love the I love the start of this thing, this build. Do you happen to know what your boy uh, Metzler, Metzler gave this thing? Do, do you have your stars? Um, no, but it, it was in Osaka. So I'm assuming it was only six and a quarter. Oh, yeah. OK. If it was in the Tokyo Dome, maybe six and a half. But in Osaka, six and a quarter. Okay. 
The match was absolutely fantastic. I did feel like they went home early after Naito hit his head on the fucking turnbuckle and was wearing the proverbial crimson mask. I kind of felt like the match ended very, very quickly after that. It did seem that maybe, do you think they they went on the adjustment there then? Because it, I didn't know maybe if they were, because it still went a decent time. Yeah, no, it was still like a half hour or so. But like I said, they didn't even touch each other for the first five minutes. It was just Kenta right. getting out of the ring and walking around the ring and getting booed out of Osaka. It was freaking great heat. Psychology yeah, I, I, was on point. Because I, I was looking at that clock. So I could see maybe the, they didn't have to cut it too short, but it did seem like they did hurry up to a finish. The only thing that then is odd is after the match, Naito has to take the microphone and deliver a promo as he's bleeding like a stuck freaking pig. Well, bleeding and he seemed like he was a little loopy. Yeah, well, he, he had lost a lot of blood at that point. And, um, and by loopy, I mean even loopy for Naito. Yeah, right. Uh, so Naito takes the microphone and he, he tells Kenta basically to get the hell out of here. And then he says, hey, so the next big show that's coming up is March 3rd anniversary show. And it is tradition that at the anniversary show, the IWGP junior heavyweight champion faces off with the IWGP world heavyweight champion. So Hiromu, come on out. And the match is booked. It's going down March 3rd at Anniversary Hiromu Takahashi versus Tetsuya Naito for the very first time ever in a singles match. It's going to be an all-LIJ main event. Rick, this is going to be an awful lot of fun. Of course Naito is going to win. But, man, that crowd is going to be so behind Hiromu. It is going to be ridiculous. It's, it was, and you have the, you know... Uh, the the bond between the two yeah it's big brother little brother you bet yeah and the and then you're gonna see this shift in this audience here i mean is it gonna get to the champ a little bit how's he gonna play this how's he gonna react to that it's it's this it's gonna be a, a, a one hell of a dynamic yeah it's gonna be so much fun on the road to the anniversary show on the February 19th show is the Tiger Hitori retirement event. And then on February 22nd, the Manabu Nakanishi retirement event, um, both of which I, I'm sure New Japan will handle with the utmost class. They'll be fantastic events on the road to the anniversary event. Huckleberry, anything else that you wanted to talk about inside the world of professional wrestling before we get the hell out of here today? Well, it was another big weekend, and we're getting geared up. We're going to have a, another hot show next week. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking throughout the week as we gear up for Portland. Ah, oh, man, I, I, I keep rocking and roll. It just seems that professional wrestling, especially here in 2020, it, it's, been, it's been on fire. Uh, each and every week, it seems like we've got a big event covered. Absolute nonstop. It's absolutely crazy. So that's going to wrap you know, we, I guess we, we could cut back and become one of those shows that just cover like one brand. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what, what do you want to do? MLW? Oh, no, that's taken. AEW? No, that's that one's taken. I guess we'd have to do like stardom or something. We'll just cover stardom yeah. from now on. Yeah. Perfect. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. 
please visit thegorillaposition.com where they tell the stories, pro wrestling storytellers. NDPW.com for all the latest news and events going on throughout the entire professional wrestling world. Find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo, RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, I just got an interesting text message here from our good friends at McDonald's. So apparently, if I head over there this afternoon and purchase a 20-piece chicken McNugget, I'm going to get a free medium fry and a free small soft drink. So hell yeah! That's where I'll be. The local McDonald's. Uh, but between then, there, and afterwards, you follow me, Rick Baker, across all social media platforms at The Real RBV. We'll talk to you next week. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! me don't give up your bad guy Fuck your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me.